Okay, I was going to start by telling you that um, back in July when we were on holiday, uh, I don't know what you're like, but when I'm on holiday, I love to pick a couple of books to take with me. And I actually started reading a book called Seek First, How the Kingdom Changes Everything. Let me just read the blurb off the back of the book to you to give you a flavor of what it's about. It says this, in an age of distraction, everyone is looking for something that gives purpose and perspective on life. Jesus says it's the kingdom of God. But the kingdom is not just another religious idea. Rather, God's loving reign brings clarity and coherence to all of life, identity, work, play, relationships, justice, character, in a way that is profound and practical. The kingdom brings clarity and coherence to all of life. Now that's a pretty bold statement for anybody to make, but I hope that over the last few weeks as we've been journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, that maybe perhaps we have begun to see with greater clarity and greater understanding as to how true that statement is. That the kingdom of God does bring clarity and coherence to all of life. And that we have seen that when we focus on that kingdom, we bring glory to God's name. Now that kingdom is now. It will be fulfilled in the future when Jesus comes again, but we are part of that kingdom now. Jesus rules and reigns now. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we may well be a citizen of the UK or whatever passport you carry, but we are first and foremost citizens of that kingdom, of that eternal kingdom of God. You know, we've seen over this last week or so how mortal kings and queens come and go. But Jesus is our forever king. Amen. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. But the wonderful thing is that even a few weeks ago, if you remember when we were looking at the Lord's Prayer, even though he is God Almighty, we are able to approach him and call out to him as Father, Abba Father. See, on, this, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out for us all these radical values of his kingdom. And how we, if we understand and obey his commands, we will experience that freedom which Josh has so often spoken about. His kingdom is not about pomp and ceremony, as wonderful as it's been to see all of the pageantry surrounding Her Majesty's funeral. But our Lord's kingdom is not about that. He did not come as many thought he would come to raise an army to depose the Romans, but he came to inaugurate a kingdom like no other, a kingdom which draws people from every nation, from every tribe, a kingdom that on the face of it, you would think would be far from united, but it is the most united kingdom that there has ever been because Jesus Christ is the head of that kingdom and he binds us all together as one. What a wonderful saviour that we have. So do you call Jesus king this morning? Do you call him king? 
You know, in one way as Christians, as disciples, it doesn't matter about our actions, what we do, because they in themselves don't make us Christians. Of course, we need to act in a proper way when we say we love and follow Jesus Christ. And our actions should always honor our King. But God is not interested in our self-righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of even the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, he wasn't saying that the religious elite of his day had it all sorted. He wasn't saying that they'd found their way into the kingdom, but they obeyed the law of the Lord like their life depended on it, but still they fell short. Jesus was very, very clear about this. In Luke 16, he said to the Pharisees, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly admired by people is revolting in God's sight. Those are pretty chilling words, aren't they? You see, Jesus exposed them. They kept the 800 or so thou shalt nots and the thou shalts in the Old Testament, but that didn't make them right before God. And we need to understand that from the get-go this morning. That if we are striving just to be good for the sake of pleasing God, then it doesn't work. All other religions will tell you, you must do this and you must not do that. And then maybe there's a possible chance that you will get to please the gods, whatever they may be. But our God, the God of the Bible, who revealed himself to Moses and who reveals himself through his words today in Scripture, his kingdom is unique like no other because he ventured to come down to earth. We couldn't reach up and grasp him. He came down to us in a rescue mission like no other to reconcile us to God. So the only way to the Father is through the Son. That is the only door. No amount of, of good deeds will ever achieve that. No hoping that the good will outweigh the bad will achieve that. We need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and in his perfect birth, life, death and resurrection, we can be reconciled to God. We must confess our sins and repent of them and put our trust in Jesus Christ. So hopefully we have a better understanding now, a clearer vision of the way that our actions fit in the Christian life because God looks way past our actions and our words and he gazes that piercing gaze into our hearts. He wants our heart. And in Matthew 6, in these few verses that we, I read this morning, we're being asked some very profound questions. What, what and who are we living for? And who or what has our heart? You know, as citizens of that kingdom, we still struggle, don't we? We still sometimes try to lead a double life when we try to please God, but we still want to hold on to those things that we've attained in this life. But we need to let those things go. The three Ps, as I call them, possessions, people, and position. We need to let them go. 
because as Jesus says in these verses, they will perish. And Jesus is drawing us as his disciples back to these fundamental issues. He wants us to look at the condition of our heart, to examine our own hearts, to see who occupies the throne of our heart. And this is nothing new. Jesus wasn't speaking anything revolutionary. Because if you dive back into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 8, there are some verses there which, which clearly tell us that God is interested in our heart. Let me just read a few verses from Deuteronomy 8 for you. Beginning at verse 11. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord, your God, by failing to keep his commands, ordinances and statutes that I'm giving you today. And then verse 14 says, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of that place of slavery. And then in verse 17, it says, you may say to yourself, my power, my own ability has gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain your wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. See, God has not changed. The message is still the same. The law was given to point us to the fact that we needed a saviour. And that saviour is Jesus Christ. So the challenge for us this morning... And indeed, as we take these thoughts away with us, is to, is to undertake that self-examination of our heart. What holds my heart? What does my heart beat for? And if, if it is not Christ, then we need to do and make some serious changes. So these, these few verses neatly break into three sections, or certainly that's how I see it. And we've got the first uh, three verses, 19 to 21, and I've sort of sectioned that off into helping us to think about our, where our security is. What do we put our trust in? Things, possessions, jobs? Or do we put our trust in Jesus Christ as his, and he is our security? And then verses 22 and 23. What is our sight like? What are we focusing on? Do we have a clear vision of Jesus? Or are we blinded by the things of this world? And finally, verse 24 service. Who do we serve? So verses 19 to 22. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's a simple command of what not to do. Verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, Jesus' words are thoroughly practical, aren't they? You know, we all know that things wear out. Whatever that might be, your favorite jeans, your favorite pair of shoes, you know, everything wears out. Even our bodies wear out. I can testify to that. Things break and they don't heal as well as they used to. We live in a world which... You know, we, we strive for things, we love things, we get things, but those things either are in the bin tomorrow or they're on eBay. They just don't last. We get bored. That fancy new phone that you might have in a few years will be obsolete. And you'll be looking for an upgrade. 
Your clothes wear out. Everything wears out. That is the nature of the world. Sin pervades everything. So it would seem pointless, wouldn't it, to put our hope in things. And that is what Jesus is saying. It's foolish. Why do you do it? Why do you collect all of these things, thinking that the more I have, the more secure I will be? Yes, they bring satisfaction in the moment. Of course they do. But they do not last. Do you know there was a survey conducted in America? There's always surveys done in America. They love them. But this survey was done, and it was asking middle-income earners how much more they would need to earn in order to feel secure and happy. And every single person that responded without exception said, I don't have enough. I need more. I need a lot more so I can feel secure and safe. And that is what we are like, isn't it? Nothing satisfies. But it's not just money, is it? Other things can occupy and captivate our hearts. People and positions can have the same effect. You know, we love our families, as we've seen this morning. And that's completely right and proper because our families are a blessing from God. We love our friends. And there is nothing wrong in that because they are a blessing from God. But Jesus is not saying that possessions or people or even our positions are inherently wrong. We must understand that. None of these things are wrong in and of themselves. But when they become the focus of our lives, when they dethrone Jesus Christ from our hearts, then they are a hindrance. And they will divert us from what we should truly be doing. So Jesus' commands are very practical. They tell us what we already know, but oftentimes we ignore. But they're also very spiritual. You know, he's telling his disciples in this passage, he's telling us not to engage in that practice of storing things up, of grasping for the material possessions in this world. And back in verse 11, if you remember this chapter, when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, we were told to give thanks and to ask for our daily bread. And that's so helpful. Because if that becomes the daily rhythm of our lives as a Christian, to come to God and say, Father, I need my daily needs, my physical needs. I need a daily dose of your grace within my heart so that I can live for you. Then that is really helpful. And the moment that we step out away from that normal rhythm that God has asked us to do, we very quickly lose our focus, don't we? And our security is no longer in the giver of those good things, but in the good things that he gives. And that is the danger. You know, we can develop a love of money. And we can develop a love of the thrill that 